All right, my brethren, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great reminder in this last song that we just sung of the great love that you have bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that this is one of the wondrous distinctives of the Christian faith and of biblical Christianity, the great truth that a just God has given us grace in and through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus by faith. We thank you for that. We thank you that it is not about us, that it is about Him and what you've done in and through Him. Thank you that even in our sanctification and that ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus, that you are the one who is empowering us to do that. And this morning is no different as we open up your word and we are reminded of how much we should cherish and treasure your word. We should be reminded of the fact that you are the one who is sanctifying us by your truth. Your word is truth. So do this amongst us this morning, Father. I pray that you would give us soft and tender hearts to hear, not just to hear, but to appropriate to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brethren. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is our text. And if you're able to stand with me, please do so for the reading of God's Word in honor of God's Word. I want to begin reading in 2 Timothy three fourteen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through Jesus Christ, which, uh, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And let me get into chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, the title of this morning's message is People of the Book. We're going to be zeroing in on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This year we have launched, as you know, um, into a church-wide collective reading of the Bible together. And I'm so thankful, as I see already so many of you that have been doing that and getting into the Word. 
and even commenting which the Lord is teaching you from God's Word. That has been so precious to read, brethren. So it's so grateful for you guys who have done that. When you think about historical Christian figures who have contributed to preserving the Word of God as you have it now, who do you think of? For me, I think of William Tyndale, who lived from 1494 through 1536. Tyndale longed so much for the people of England to have the Bible, to be able to read and study the Bible for themselves, that he spent most of his life translating the Bible and even writing commentary to help people understand the Bible. Sadly, Tyndale wasn't able to finish his translation of the Old Testament, though he did finish the New Testament. He was arrested by uh, leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, and he was put in a small, filthy prison cell. And yet that didn't stop him. Even there in prison, Tyndale was faithful. Uh, he shared the gospel with many of the prisoners who were there. He was, uh, they were so impressed with Tyndale's life, not only his words, but the testimony of his life and his godliness, that one of the prisoners there said, if this man, speaking of Tyndale, is not a Christian, a good Christian, we don't know what's good anymore. Even in prison, Tyndale was devoted to the study of Scripture. There's a letter preserved by historians where Tyndale begged the head of the prison for warmer clothing and that he be allowed to use his Hebrew Bible, his grammar, and a dictionary to study. Such was that man's devotion to the study of Holy Scripture. Well, after 500 days or so of imprisonment, Tyndale was condemned. Executioners bound him to the stake. They strangled him with the chain tied around his neck. And then they burned him to ashes. He was 42 years old when he was executed. thought about that. I'm 48, so I've lived longer than Tyndale lived. But though dead, his work lived on. By the time of his death, Tyndale had translated all of the New Testament and about half of the Old Testament and all of his work was put into an English Bible called the Great Bible of 1539. Later on, King Henry of England ordered that every church in England have a copy of this Bible. And so several editions of the Bible were circulated in England containing approximately 70% of Tyndale's work during his lifetime. How significant was Tyndale's translation work? Later on, the translators of the King James Bible of 1611 heavily leaned on Tyndale's work. In fact, more than, on more than 75% of Tyndale's work of translation. The Lord used this man greatly. Greatly. And the key question is, is why? Why? Why, if you're Tyndale, devote most of your life to the task of Bible translation? Why be willing to even die for the sake of this cause? And the answer is that William Tyndale understood, brethren, the vital importance of putting the Bible into the hands of the common people. His conviction was that people, he could not live with the fact that people could not have the opportunity to read the Bible for themselves, to study the Scriptures for themselves, to understand the Scriptures for themselves, to apply the Scriptures for themselves. And I say this to you and I share this with you as a wonderful reminder of the sweat, tears, and blood that has been spilt over the years to preserve the Bible for us as we have it today. 
whether in hard copy or electronic form. And the wonderful opportunity that we have to be able to read it and to study it. And yet, if you do a survey of many professing believers in churches all across America, and I've done this a couple of times more informally, I've noticed how little so many professing Christians value the Scriptures and devote themselves to actually studying the Bible for themselves. I saw a sad video a few years ago that went viral of people burning Bibles. And I remember seeing this and thinking, how sad, how sad that the very book that contains hope for these people, the very book that contains a life-saving message of salvation that can save someone by faith from the fiery he- uh, um, f- fires of hell, these people were burning that very book. And of course, we know that the Word of God still continues even into the present. But such is the God-hating world in which we're living right now. And so I want us to look at this particular passage more as a survey where we find one of the most powerful truths on the authority and sufficiency of the Bible in all of Scripture, but especially here in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Paul finds himself in jail in his second Roman imprisonment, and that's significant because if you remember, we've been studying Philippians, and Paul writes Philippians during his first Roman imprisonment. And from what we know from church history, we know that Paul got out of that first Roman imprisonment, eventually winds up back in prison. This is his second Roman imprisonment, and then he is actually executed shortly thereafter. But before that, he writes to his child in the faith, the Timothy, and he writes to remind him of the importance of holding fast to his heritage, holding fast to what he was taught from the time that he could even understand Scripture as a little tyke. To have the conviction that the Holy Scriptures are needed in his day and age, in Timothy's day and age. And if it's, it was true then, how much more now in our present day and age? Paul wanted Timothy to be a man of the Word in the midst of a wicked and perverse world. Essentially, the message that he has for him again and again is, hold on to the truth, Timothy. And there's a sense of urgency and gravitas in how Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy here. That this is a wicked world. We read it earlier where people will want to surround themselves with teachers who fit their own desires, their desire for materialism, their desire for lustful pleasure, their desire for psychological um, answers to life's questions, all of those things. And people are living in today's day and age. They're going to surround themselves with those kinds of counselors rather than going to the Word of God. Paul knew that. So he writes to Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word. In season and out of season. In other words, at all times, be ready to preach the Word. Why? Because there are going to come times where people will not want to hear the Word of God. And I submit to you, brethren, that this is the greatest need of the hour as well. You and I need to be people of the book. People who are informed and shaped by the truth of the Word of God and not by the world around us. This is the greatest need for you who are kids or young people. You're not too young to begin to read the Bible for yourselves. And for you parents, the question oftentimes over the years that people have asked me, parents, should I make my kids read the Bible? What should be the answer? Yes! Do you not make them eat? Do you not make them take a shower every day? We make our kids do those things, right? Why do we not have our kids discipline themselves by reading the Bible? And eventually, Lord willing, God uses 
the Word of God in their heart so that their hearts are in it, right? As He did for me at the age of 17. I would read the Bible over the years growing up, memorize Scripture. It didn't mean a whole lot to me. 17, bam! The Spirit of God opens my eyes to what, I'm actually, to what I had actually read and studied and even memorized. That can happen. The greatest need for you husbands and wives and for you parents is that you be people of the book. That you be saturated with Holy Scripture. Not just know it, but also appropriate it to your hearts and lives. Saturate your minds with it so that it flows out onto the way that you make decisions in your life. We need to be people of the book. Older saints, those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, the greatest need is that you be a man or woman of the book. That you continue, even though you've been walking with the Lord for years and you may know a lot of information about the Bible, that you would continue to cultivate a heart of humble teachability so that you would be a person of the book. By which we mean the Scriptures. If you're not a Christian this morning, it's the Word of God that contains the message of hope you understand. That there is a God who has loved us in Christ Jesus so that by repentance and putting your confidence and trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven. The Word of God contains that life-saving message of hope found in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is a great treasure and I want us to be reminded of why we should get into the Word and be people of the book this morning. So from this text here, verses 16 and 17, I want us to see three reasons for why we should study the Bible. Three reasons for why we should study the Bible. First, you should study the Bible for proper worship. Write that down. You should study the Bible for proper worshiped worship. We have been saved out of the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son so that we would no longer worship self, but that we would worship God. And one of the reasons God gives us His Word is so that we might worship Him according to who He is. Accurately as He is. Jesus said in John 4.24 that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Meaning in sincerity, right? From the heart and in truth. By which He meant in reality. Truth is reality. As opposed to falsehood. As opposed to an illusion. And we find truth in the Word of God. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. And so we need to worship God accurately as He is. Look look at verse 16. He says, All Scripture, Timothy, is inspired by God. Specifically, Paul is referring here at the time that he writes, obviously to the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures when he says this. But we now know that also the New Testament is the Word of God. And one great example of that is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, where Peter refers to Paul's letters as Scripture. And then he also refers to the rest of the Scriptures Peter does. There are other examples of this. But the key here is that we're told where the Scripture comes from. That it's inspired by God, he says in verse 16. In other words, Scripture is not the invention of men. It doesn't originate in men. But the Scriptures are the very Word of God. They originate in God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And the idea there is that God so superintended 
the human authors of Scripture to pin down exactly what he wanted to be pinned down in by the word and by the phrase and by the paragraph and so forth and so forth. Ultimately, the Word of God is just that, the Word of God. Paul says the Scriptures are inspired by God. Literally, God-breathed. God-breathed. That word inspire, there is a bit misleading, giving the sense of a breathing in, right? You know, we often say, even at lunchtime, we'll say later on, you know, I'm so inspired by the smell of that wonderful pizza, you know? And we do one of these breathing in. The idea here is, this is a word made up of two words that actually has a sense of expired. Expired. As the ESV puts it, all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, Scripture comes from God. It originates from God. God is the source of divine Scripture. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, He said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and that applies to all of Scripture. That it originates and proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so even though God chose to use human agents to pen down Holy Scripture using their personalities and their life circumstances, etc. Ultimately, the Scriptures come from Him and they pen down exactly what He wanted them to record as the Holy Spirit superintended the writers of Holy Scripture to pen down Scripture. This is what is known as the, the doctrine of divine inspiration. That ultimately, the Scripture comes from God. We don't make the Scripture's Scripture, depending on our opinions, the Scripture stands as the Word of God. Inspired by God. And because they come from God, we can rest assured of a few wonderful, assuring truths, brethren. Some wonderful, assuring truths that should motivate us to be people of the book and to get into the Word. First of all, it should assure us that the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is inerrant. This means that not only is it without error, but it can't be proven to be false. It cannot be proven to be mistaken. It is perfect and flawless. And if God Himself is perfect and holy like no other, the incomparable one, and perfectly pure and flawless, then doesn't it follow that His Scriptures would be inerrant? Of course. The Bible is not only inerrant, but the Bible is infallible. It is infallible. That means that it's incapable of teaching deception or incapable of teaching you falsehood. It is incapable of leading you astray from God and His will. It is incapable of lying to you. That's what the infallibility of Scripture points to. The Bible is not only inerrant, infallible, the Bible is absolutely reliable. It is absolutely reliable. The Bible, brethren, is as dependable and as trustworthy as the God who gave it. If you trust God and you trust in His infinite, majestic, glorious attributes and that He's perfect and flawless and that He is absolutely reliable, then you know that what He wrote is absolutely reliable and dependable. Amen? Write these verses down and meditate upon them later on. Psalm 12 and verse 6. Psalm 12 and verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. That pictures the, the precious metals of ancient times that went through this refining process again and again and again in order to test their authenticity. The psalmist is saying the Word of God is like that. 
It has proven the test of time. People have pushed back against the Word of God, but it continues to be the one book that people cannot escape. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is tried or tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. In other words, the Word of God is reliable. We can find protection in the Word of God and in the God of the Word. 2 Samuel 22, verse 31. As for God, His way is blameless. The Word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. These verses, brethren, and many others that we can quote here, equate the, re- the reliability and trustworthiness of God's Word with God's very character, with who He is. As God is perfect, so the Word of God is perfect. As God is dependable, so the Word of God is reliable and dependable. You can bank on it. You can bank on the truth of the, of the Bible. You can have absolute confidence and assurance in the reliability and trustworthiness of the Word of God. Also, because the Bible comes from God, not only is it inerrant, infallible, reliable, it's also absolutely authoritative. Absolutely authoritative. This means that Scripture is the final word. Because when Scripture speaks, God speaks. That's very countercultural, isn't it? We are living in, a, in an anti authority culture, you understand. And you see it. Where people don't want to be accountable, people want to be autonomous, they want to continue going after those things in their lives. They want to have the final word, but if the Bible is the word of God, and it is, then it is final and binding for every single person living in his creation and created by him. There's this reality of the creator creature distinction that we need to live by. We are not autonomous, we are not to be living independent of God and seek not to be accountable or to not be accountable. We are accountable as creatures under the Creator. If the Bible is the Word of God, then it's final and binding for every single person living in God's creation that He has created. And this is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 1-4, we read it, Oh, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people will not want to hear the Word of God. They're going to want to pursue materialism and the lust of their pleasures and all of these things. And they're going to surround themselves with with teachers and counselors and people who are going to be telling them that this is the way to go. They want to have their ears tickled rather than hear the Word of God. Because don't do that. Preach the Word of God. Preach the Word. Don't neglect that. At all times do that. Boy, this is a time, brethren, when we don't want to neglect this. Personally, even in our own lives where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes, right? Now, most importantly, I want us to ask ourselves the question, why? Why did God give us His Word? And of course, the answer is to know and to worship Him. Right? At the top of the list is to know and to worship Him. You see, the Scriptures are God's self-revelation. The Scriptures reveal who God is and how we may worship Him accurately and in accordance with who He is. It's in the Scriptures where we come to know our amazing Creator, His character and His attributes, His majesty and His splendor, His holiness and His justice, His wrath and His jealousy, His love and His mercy, His grace and His compassion, His sovereign rule over everything and His providence over all of the details of this universe. 
It's in the Scriptures that we come to understand His mighty power and His infinite wisdom and His amazing knowledge that is limitless. We come to know who God is. The Bible is God's self-revelation. It reveals who God is. Why is it important to know God through His Word then? Because we must worship Him as He is. We must never give in to the sin of creating a God of our own imagination. If the Bible reveals who God is, then brethren, we need to go to the Scriptures if we're going to worship God in accordance with who He is. Because the Scriptures reveal, the, reveal God to us. Romans 1 speaks of God's wrath being presently revealed against those who, amongst other things, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the creature rather than the Creator who is God blessed forever. Amen. People are exchanging the truth of who God is for other idols that don't even exist. They can't speak. They can't answer them. It's in the Scriptures that we come to know of God's great plan to redeem sinners through the death and resurrection of His Son. The Bible reveals the great message of free salvation from sin and God's judgment through Jesus Christ so that any sinner, any sinner, no matter what you've done this morning, you can be forgiven at the foot of the cross. The Bible reveals this saving message, right? He says this in chapter 3 and verse 15, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you've known this from your grandmother and from your mother. You've known from the time that you were a little tyke, a little toddler, that this, these, these Scriptures can lead you to salvation found in Christ Jesus. So the Scriptures reveal God to us His great plan, the plan of salvation. They bring comfort to our hearts in a world that is not going to get any better. Brethren, the Bible reveals God's promises to us and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, right? For a wonderful new heavens and a new earth someday in the future where righteousness dwells. So the Bible has been given to us to know and to worship God. And yet, I, you know, I wonder... I wonder as a pastor and as your brother in Christ, how many of us actually study to know and to worship God? Right? Some of you are. And it's precious again to read some of the, your meditations of devotion and doxology, of glorifying God for what you're seeing. Others of us, not so much. Right? We've got to be careful, brethren, not to just clock in and out. Right? Not to just check off a box. Not to practice religiosity. Right? getting through the routine. Hear me. Study to know and to worship the triune God of Scripture. Study to know and to worship Him. Remember the, how you dissected that, that precious letter from your now spouse back in the day? What did you, how did you read the letter? Right? Whoa, they used an exclamation mark in this particular paragraph right here. I wonder why he used an exclamation mark right there. Well, I wonder why she has a run-on sentence right here. She must really be in love with me. She must really, really like me. You were dissecting every word, every sentence, every way of them putting something. Why were you doing that? Because you love the words on the paper? Because you love the person behind the words, right? This is the way that we should study Scripture. It's a love book to us from our Heavenly Father, see? And we should study and dissect it not just to be intellectual, and to know a lot of facts, 
but so that our affections would be moved and we would be driven all the more to want to worship and to know God and praise Him. Amen? Extol who He is. Christianity is about a living, vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and implied to know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See that? Eternal life is to know God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul himself boiled his life as a follower of Christ to one thing, that I may know Him, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This is what life boils down to for me, the, the, uh, the great Apostle Paul, church planter, discipler, equipper, all of that. He says, I'm a servant, and this is what life comes down to for me. I want to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead like Jesus did. So it's all about knowing Him. It's all about a relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ. And I want us to savor this, brethren. To ponder this reality for a moment. That the God of the universe created you to have a personal relationship with Him. This is even if you don't acknowledge it at the present time. He created you and He made you for Himself. To have a relationship with Him. And He's made it possible for you to do that by putting His Son on the cross to pay for your sins. So that by faith, by faith in Christ and Christ alone, you can be forgiven. You can be reconciled. You can enter into a right relationship with God through Jesus. God doesn't need you, but He wants you. He doesn't need you, but He wants you. How do you know? He made you. Right? He gave us His creation to enjoy and to rule over. And most importantly, He gave us His Word that we may know and properly worship Him. We are blessed people. Amen? We are blessed people, brethren. So the next time that you read your Bible, ask, what does this passage tell me about my God? What does this passage tell me about His attributes? Those characteristics that are true of Him. What qualities of God can I praise Him for and worship Him for as I read this Scripture, as I spend time? I should extol Him for these things. Listen to J.I. Packer. Study to know, sure, for there can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. Understanding must always be the foundation of feeling in the human heart. Otherwise, you can have baseless emotionalism. But understanding that does not give rise to feeling for God becomes intellectualism and deadness. So don't just study for knowledge's sake. Study for worship. That's good, isn't it? Study the Bible for proper worship. Secondly, secondly, study the Bible for personal holiness. Study the Bible for personal holiness. I pray that your greatest desire in 2024 at the top of the list is that you would be holy. That you would be like Christ. My wife and I went on a walk for January 1st or 2nd, one of those days, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions or some of the things that we want to see in one another and started sharing prayer requests with one another. And that was at the top of the list, wasn't it? To be like Jesus. And then we get specific. Here are some areas where I want to grow. I want to be more and more like Christ, right? Well, brethren, it says we behold God through His Word first and foremost, that we are progressively 
going to become more and more like Him as we respond in loving obedience, in joyful, worshipful obedience and appropriation of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. You hear that? As you behold the glory of Christ on the pages of His Holy Word and you are marveling at Him and cherishing and treasuring Jesus and following in His footsteps, the Holy Spirit is going to conform you more and more into the image of Christ so that you become someone who reflects His glory as a believer, as a follower. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God And profitable, underline that word, profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You hear that? The Word of God is profitable. It is useful, helpful, beneficial. You know another reason why you should study the Bible, brothers and sisters? Because it is good for you. It is beneficial for you. It's like when your mother would tell you, right, hey, eat your veggies. I don't want to, right? Throwing tantrums left and right. Eat your veggies. Why? Because it is good for you. Remember that? This is Paul saying, look, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is beneficial for these things, for teaching. Verse 16, notice, the Scriptures are beneficial for teaching. It's good for imparting doctrine, for feeding feeding you healthy teaching feeding you healthy spiritual food, right? What do we always say? Sound doctrine, sound teaching, sound doctrine leads to sound living. I would just add something in the middle there. Sound doctrine or sound teaching when applied leads to sound living. When applied leads to sound living. Well, it's true, right? Like humans who need healthy food to develop, so Christians need sound, healthy teaching in order to grow and to mature in Christ, but you need to digest the truth, right? When your mom or someone makes a meal for you, or has, or when you go to a wonderful restaurant and they serve this amazing meal, you don't just sit there and stare at it. What do you do? You partake of it. You digest it, right? That's why meditation and memorization and appropriation and application, not only individually, but in small groups that you can get involved in, where you hear others and what others are learning, and you get to share what you are learning. That is so important so that we digest the truth of the Word of God and we become, like James chapter 1 says, doers of the Word and not merely hearers who are self-deceived, right? For wisdom is knowledge rightly applied, skillfully applied in a way that glorifies God, is good for you, and benefits others. That's wisdom. Knowledge skillfully applied. And yet many believers are starving themselves, right? Not getting into the Word, not feeding yourself, not reading, even reading the Scriptures and spending those moments of the day. Brethren, the issue with some of us not reading the Scriptures is not that we don't have time, right? Anybody here have 24, 25 hours in their day? That's why you're reading the Bible, right? Maybe some of us who are being very diligent at reading Scripture is because we have 26, 27 hours in the day. Anybody? Everybody gets how many hours in the day? 24. The issue is how you redeem the time because the days are evil, right? Ephesians chapter 5. We have time. We just don't make time, right? We sell ourselves short 
Secondly, look at verse 16. The scriptures are beneficial for reproof. For reproof. When we study our Bibles, our sinful thinking, our sinful attitudes, our sinful motives, our sinful intentions, our sinful priorities, our sinful words, our sinful conduct, our sinfulness in relationships is exposed and laid bare before God, right? Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You hear that? The Word of God, it searches the soul, doesn't it? I've been there many times, brethren. You have been there too. Where there are things that you just don't see, blind spots in your sanctification in that ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And then you open up a passage of Scripture, right? As you're doing your Bible reading throughout the year. Boom! I didn't see that. The Holy Spirit just convicted me of that. I need to go make that right before the Lord and maybe before somebody else. Seek forgiveness in a particular area. The Word of God searches the soul. You need to position yourself to be exposed daily to the Word of God. To have a steady diet and intake of God's Word. God's Word is like a divine x-ray machine, right? That exposes what's going on in our hearts. That reveals our sin. Listen to Martin Luther who once said this, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. (laughs) True, isn't it? We cannot escape the Word of God. We may be able to hide what's in our hearts to others, but not from God. He exposes us through His Word. Thirdly, the Scriptures are beneficial. Notice in verse 16, for correction. For correction, right? Beautiful word there, correction. It carries the idea of of restoring, of rebuilding something that has been broken. Brethren, the Bible and exposure to the Word of God and when God reveals a sin in your life or a a particular area of sanctification that you've missed, the Bible doesn't just do surgery on us by cutting us and exposing us and what's going on in our hearts. It doesn't just lay a burden on us. It also provides the balm and that balm is Christ. It heals and mends and restores us when we respond in humble brokenness, right? You've experienced that. That's the word for correction here. The Word of God heals, mends, restores, rebuilds. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Ready for this? Restoring the soul. Restoring the soul. Like a divine doctor, God, the good doctor, wants to heal us as we expose ourselves to His Word so that we are useful. And that leads to the fourth benefit there. In verse 16, notice, The Scriptures are beneficial for training in righteousness. For training in righteousness. We are taught the Word, exposed by the Word, right? Reproved by the Word, then restored by the Word. Why? So that we would be trained in righteousness. God is a a great master discipler who is discipling us and disciplining us through His Word. That we would be useful. Trained in righteousness, which is the, the Christian conduct that God wants from us. That our Heavenly Father requires of us. Yes, we are positionally righteous, but we are called to flesh out practical righteousness, functional righteousness, to walk in obedience, to walk in righteousness, right? 
We are to be devoted to doing what is right. And this doesn't just happen, brethren. As we said from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, right? Sanctification doesn't just happen. The Christian life is not just let go and let God. Right? And I told you, people ask me often over the years, is the Christian life about resting in Jesus or running for Jesus? What's the answer? Both. Rest in Jesus because out of the overflow of that relationship and what He's accomplished on your behalf, that you'll be able to run for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, right? Rest in Jesus, run for Jesus. It's not a let go and let God endeavor if you're going to be trained in righteousness. Growing in righteousness requires our maximum effort, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I told you that that has the sense of working out the implications of your already salvation. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In the Christian life, we are to give maximum proactive effort. You might liken the Christian life to running a 25-mile marathon race, right? A marathon race. Some of you have done that, are runners. And you understand that in a race like that, that requires serious discipline and conditioning. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.26 that I, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He likens the Christian life to a race where the goal is to win, like a boxing fight where a boxer beats his body into submission that he win the bout and finish the fight. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, "...have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness." Discipline from which we get gymnasium. Let me ask you a question. What happens in a gymnasium? Rigor, right? Grunting. You know what I'm saying? You know, you heard those guys lifting weights and pumping iron in the gymnasium? What happens in there? Tearing of muscles. Sweat. Hard work. Because only hard work will lead to physical results. That's the imagery that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. So it is in the Christian life. If we're going to see results and mature in holiness, we need to put in the work, right? This is always a two-front battle in sanctification where we aggressively are laying aside those things that hold us back, those baggages of sinful struggles that we have that hold us back from a closer walk with Jesus. And on the other hand, on the other hand, we're pursuing God through His Word by studying it and applying it to our lives. So it's putting aside sin. Are we going to do that perfectly? Of course not. None of us here are perfect. None of us will ever arrive. Amen? If you think you've arrived, come and talk to me after, okay? Or talk to somebody who knows you and they'll point out where you haven't arrived, okay? None of us will arrive, but we need to be pursuing by the grace of God sanctification, right? And on the other hand, not only putting off sin, but also pursuing God through His Word. It's a two-front battle, brethren. And some people wonder for years, why am I like this? Why is it that I don't grow or pursue maturity very much, right? Why is it that I don't see neither a desire for Christ nor am I actively pursuing Jesus? And this is characteristically, habitually your life. I would ask you this first and foremost. Are you saved? How do you know that you're saved? How do you know? Have you truly made that commitment? Have you truly 
Come to see yourself as a sinner who's offended a holy God, who stands guilty and condemned before God. And have you come to see a gracious God who has sent His Son Jesus into the world to die for sinners such as us, who deserve hell and condemnation? Have you confessed your sin to God and have you put your confident trust in Jesus and Jesus alone? Have you made that commitment? Putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is where it begins for you if you don't know Him personally. Now for others of us who are believers, right? The reality is that oftentimes we don't see growth in part because we are not getting into the Word, right? I've told you that oftentimes in counseling over the years, one of the main questions that I'll ask eventually, not as the first question, but as I pastor people in counseling, hey, how is your time in the Word right now? I gave you homework, right, to read First John and a couple of questions there. Why? It's because this is the, the, the biblical counseling thing to do, you know? the spiritual thing to do? No, because people need to get into the Word and we need to provide practical mechanisms for them to get into the Word. And you know what? Oftentimes they'll answer, oh, I didn't have time this week to do that. I'm so sorry. I go, so you're wasting my time. You know? This is like the seventh time we meet. So do you want to change for the glory of Christ? Do you want to see your marriage restored? Do you want to see your children not hate your guts? You know? Because you are, as far as it depends on you, walking with Christ shepherding them as you should? Do you want to be walking in love with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that your desire? Do you want to glorify God? Then listen, it's not just let go and let God. God says, get into my word if you truly are in Christ, right? Maybe you're here this morning and it's a little bit different for you. Maybe you're just discouraged by your struggles and your sins, right? Maybe you're just downtrodden. It seems so hard to overcome. Listen, can I remind you, you don't spend time with God because you are worthy. You spend time with God because He is worthy. Amen? You don't spend time with God because He needs something from you. You know, He's incomplete and you complete Him. You come to God because you need Him. He doesn't need you, but He wants you. He has you here in this world to pursue a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. See, some of us want to accomplish great things for, for God, but we're not willing to make the effort to be people of the book who are knowing and worshiping God, who are seeking to be equipped for service from the Word of God, right? And even in relationship with others, you're not drawing from the fountain of, of living waters, not being refreshed daily by the water of the Word. I don't even know how you make it every day, if that's where you're at. Listen, you want to be like Jesus? Study and expose yourself regularly to the Word of God, both in your personal time and as you sit under healthy teaching. Sunday mornings ought to be a priority for you to be here, right? It starts Saturday night, preparing so that you are alert for, for the preaching of God's Word. And then during the week with, in small groups with your brethren where now both sides can be wrestling with Scripture together and how Scripture applies to your lives. You want to be like Christ? Study the Bible for personal holiness. Lastly, lastly, study the Bible for productive service. Study the Bible for productive service. Some Christians are really faithful in this area, serving Christ. Some Christians really need to get off the bench already, okay? And maybe that's you this morning. Study the Bible for productive service. We're reminded here that the Scriptures 
actually equip us for productive service. Notice in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? What is the goal? Verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Notice those words there. Adequate, meaning whole or complete, capable or competent for every good work. The Word of God makes you adequate for the good works that God has prepared for you to flesh out. And the next word takes it a step further, equipped for every good work. See that? Equipped. That means thoroughly. It's an intensified form of that word. It means fully equipped. Thoroughly equipped. One translator put it this way, lavishly equipped for the good works that God wants from us. God wants us to be sufficiently supplied to do the works that He has called us to perform, brethren. To serve Him. To be productive in our service. Service for others glorifies God, is good for you, and is good for others. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 14, our people, Titus, speaking of Christians, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. Brothers and sisters, God is happy that you are a part of His family now through Jesus Christ if you're a believer, but He wants you to be a productive, fruitful Christian. You need to be about productive service, using the spiritual gifts that He's given you and the abilities and experiences that He's given you for His glory and the edification of your brethren. And as you do that, you will find the greatest satisfaction in, in, in uh, presenting that productive service. to Doing the good works that He has prepared for you to do. Now, there are hindrances and obstacles that get in the way of us, right? Being able to do that. Obviously, we've talked in the, in, before about hidden or known unrepentant sin that takes away our desire for the Word, right? So write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and following to be reminded of the fact that you need to be like a newborn baby longing for the pure milk of the Word, but you need to put aside filthiness, and sin, perfectly no. But it's about the desire and the pursuit rather than about perfection. It's about the progression of your life, not about the perfection of your life, right? Laziness and slothfulness is another hindrance. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to, unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God, he says. Be diligent. Work hard at interpreting the Scriptures well of cutting the Bible straight. Cutting the Word straight is the idea there. Handling accurately the Word of God. Arrogance and pride can be a hindrance. An unteachable attitude that says, you know, I know a lot already. I've sort of already arrived. i got a lot to impart, a lot to offer others, but I don't have anything that I really need right now. I don't know about you, but I need you guys as your pastor. I need you. I need my elders. I need my pastors. I need my family. I need other people. I'm not a self-sufficient man. What about you? Do you live that way? Pride and arrogance, an unteachable attitude that refrains, right? Some of you don't have much of an appetite for God's Word or are very unfruitful because you're proud and you're arrogant. You're proud and you're arrogant. You've stopped being a learner. You've stopped being a teacher. Remember, knowledge puffs up, but love what? Builds up. 
edifies. And so if your knowledge of God's Word is not leading you to a deeper worship of God, to a greater delight in God, to serving others, listen, it doesn't matter how much you know. It really doesn't. I know a lot of seminary guys over the years. I know a lot of pastors over the years or guys who wanted to go into pastoral ministry and all of that. And listen, they could wax eloquent behind a pulpit. They could teach very well. They could have a lot of knowledge. They sat under a lot of teachers. All they do all day long is read books and all of that stuff. Listen to me. If they are not fleshing that out in worship of God and delighting in serving other people so that they put others before themselves, it doesn't matter what they know. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure you didn't want a pastor like that last year, right? As you guys were looking at different men coming here. We all need each other. We need the Lord and we need one another. Remember where we started last summer? Isaiah 66 and verse 2. What kind of person does God delight in? And that person who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the kind of person God looks upon with favor, right? And obviously that begins with submitting your life to Christ but cultivating a heart of humility that way. Brethren, now more than ever, we need to be people of the book. People who are shaped and informed by God's Word, not the evil system of this world. Remember, there's power in the Word of God, both for ourselves personally, for standing firm in spiritual warfare, and collectively as we do that in this wicked culture. Amen? I love what C.H. Spurgeon once said about the power of the Word of God in the life of the believer. He said, The Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. I like that. I like that. Listen, get in the Word. Let the lion loose in your heart and in your soul and in the world and in your witness to others. Amen? May God help us be people of the book. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your precious Word that, Lord, has not left us confused. Lord, if we're confused or we're seeking answers in other things, it's because we are deceived. We are deceiving ourselves into thinking that somehow we're going to get answers that ultimately at the end of the day cause us to waste our time not going to the fountain of living waters, your holy scriptures that reveal you for wisdom and guidance. Father, I do pray that if there's anyone here this morning or this afternoon that does not know you, that they might know that one of the great reasons why we have Scripture is just as Paul put it, so that there would be salvation, so that they would understand the Gospel, the good news concerning a Savior, Jesus, and that they would today, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And for us as believers, help us to be people of the book, not just to sort of check off a box every single day, but to really know and to worship you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.